Hello, everyone. Welcome to Art and Labor. I'm OK Fox. And I'm Lucia Love. Oh, and- you sound so good. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Immediately, I just scream into the microphone. But it's so good. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't clip. It's so good. Oh, yeah. Uh, so for all the listeners at home, I am joining the professional podcasters of ranks the the ranks of the professionals because now not only am i speaking out of a microphone that is outside of my computer Mm. i am also um attaching it to a mic stand courtesy (sighs) of joey our um our tireless producer yeah our our little sound whipping boy (laughs) go do it fix it Uh, yeah sound whipping (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> whip them with cables. Whip them with XLRs. They're nice and heavy. Yeah, or just whip them with like really bad recordings. Yeah, to- constantly. Yeah, where we just eat <laughs> chips and offend. every week. <laughs> <laughs> we had a really good setup before Miss COVID came along. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Um, and then just fell into a you know malaise as as one does in these times. <laughs> it's you know I am starting to really uh, re recoalesce. I, I don't know. I'm trying. I'm reconstitute your. Re, yeah, I'm starting to reconstitute myself around the idea that it's important just to keep talking. <laughs> I do love talking, and that's why you know even though we had a dip in mic quality, we kept the podcast going through everything, you know? <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're intrepid like that. You know, other people, you might think, wow, they've got it together. But is that really um, reminiscent of the struggle? I mean, yeah, well, we were really, really in it for a while there. I mean, I don't think, I, like, I don't like, I don't think we could, we should downplay that. It was, shit was bad for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, that's that is true. It's like, but it's like the blessed uh, way of forgetting. Like, I don't, I don't think about that whole time where I was unemployed, and then I got mystery sick before anybody knew what was going on, and then we all like went into lockdown in tiny New York City rooms. And then like fought our landlords and then had to move and move and move. I am like so curious about those recordings where we were talking about like, I don't know, man. I mean, we didn't record, we, we referenced it, I think, but we had like a private phone conversation where we were really like, should we leave? What should we do? Like where, like, (laughs) should we stock up? Like what we did, we really did stock up. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, we had a, we had a strategic planning session where it was like, all right, so, um, I'm just going to put my money into grains and you can do the same. Um, I did dried beans. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just really, really sane, normal stuff. Total normal, great survival, uh, snapping into it. Like, yeah. Well, now there's some similar planning conversations going on where with with anyone who is more of an organizer than I am, it's like, all right, so according to how the next year is going to go, I'm just having conversations with people about like how to feasibly keep some channels open for uh vulnerable communities to leave America if they need to. Yeah. Yeah, it's been yeah, it's been that it's been like I don't know the the group I'm in is orienting to completely to eviction defense. Um, even though in New York, there's we have some time, but we have to you know plan now for the inevitable. It's yeah. The new Bad. sub, the new subtropical winter yeah. is gonna come along, and <laughs> isn't that crazy that we're a subtropical zone now? That blew my mind. <laughs> Did you look that up afterwards? Like, I've been thinking. I I, I was thinking about it because like there's mimosa trees in my neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, and I'm like, and they bloom every June, and I'm just and I and I researched them one year, and I'm like, they're not supposed to be here at all. <laughs> oh God. Well, life is fluid 
it goes where it can. <laughs> and clearly it's a new world where they are allowed. Life uh, finds a way. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm gonna not gonna say it. <laughs> life it um makes its yeah. own path. Uh, uh, uh life it uh, directs uh, its own actions. <laughs> I uh, I I I don't know. I'll, I'll, I was gonna go on a really weird tangent there, but I won't. Whoa, that's um, kind of a development for us. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm curious. Like we should do it. <laughs> I was the I was I started doing the like clone high JFK impression. Oh and, God! <laughs> um, I saw like clone high was trending because I guess it's it's coming back as everything has to come back and do another season from uh. from the early 2000s and 90s. Um, but I saw there was like a million like fan cams and tiktoks like of the jfk character in clone high and i I just like started i like weird i I mean i was a big cleopatra fan oh she's awesome (laughs) yeah i like so much jfk though i yeah no jfk was sucked like i like like joan of arc oh yeah i was very goth when i was watching that show right (laughs) (laughs) who wasn't you're like automatically goth when you watch it it's all like it's all like got those good purples in it Uh, you like the the vincent van gogh oh yeah (laughs) jesus christ emo teen yeah so that show is coming back and it got me all thinking about the fucking uh kennedy's like that clip was being shared when joe kennedy lost and (laughs) <laughs> it's like everyone's psyche is so crazy like everyone's doing fan cams of this cartoon jfk it's fascinating <laughs> it's yeah it's like we've gotten to the point where we know fandom is just gonna operate like i don't know its own arm of the media but we don't know what it's gonna land on <laughs> it's a, seriously it, yes it, it's a very surprising it could be very like it can be very subversive in its own way, like good or bad. <laughs> yeah. I, in, in fandom news, I was really surprised to see um, ContraPoints tweeting that they were getting some cancellation flack for appropriating weeb culture. Oh, she's always getting flack, right? Or she yeah. is amateur. I think she, but like always getting flack. Like, and I think her videos are really worthwhile, worth listening to, even, you know. Well, I think the flack is just really changing since, like, the whole exposure to a wider... um, Yeah. I don't know, it's not, I guess not, like, a wider audience, but, like, a more um, authority centered one, where it's like, oh, all of these, all of these, uh, you know, different podcast interviews and all of these articles and all of these like portrait pieces about like who the artist is has just turned everyone into a crazy person that's like you know what now you're racist oh totally they they find all sorts of things like that's how that shit works it's just a and her videos are about how in like her, her recent videos rather are about like how ineffective that is and how it's like a false justice sort of and like i don't know i think i think her videos are super interesting it's it's i i personally think she's a little too lib if so if we're gonna cancel her oh wow <laughs> like she just i wish that she she's so smart and reads so much like why can't she read a little more marxist theory <laughs> yeah well it's all it's all that kind of like come in through the back door and get to leftist politics through identity. So I get it. I guess it's slow going, but I'm... Yeah, it's for YouTube. Yeah. You, you gotta you gotta feed the baby birds. The most annoying thing to me that she said in a video is her bit about like kind of champagne socialism and just sort of like embracing that uncritically. Oh. <laughs> um, which is like fine. It's like, yeah, sure, live your live your decadent life with your thousands and thousands of dollars every month or whatever go for it you deserve it everyone deserves it though (laughs) well yeah that's the point though (laughs) yeah i know i mean i'm on that tip as well i just think like i'm really interested in surviving and having money and i think that's like actually if i make enough money to pay my rent and then also have like 
some nice clothes or something that actually doesn't stop somebody else from getting it. So like, I would just say, you know, I support anybody just trying to figure out how to live. It's true. It's true. I'm just wondering, like at a certain point, if you're like a a very principled person who reads a lot of theory and, and makes explicitly political videos, like, if your end goal is like, uh, I guess Biden harm reduction forever. Oh it just God. Is a dead end street. No. Yeah. That's where I drop off. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I believe in yeah. you that if you got ContraPoints money, I think that you would be, have a little more of a grounding in something other than like a vague, vague, I don't know, democratic socialism. Well, I would do cool stuff with it, you know? I would be like, (laughs) I would be like, yo, fridge is on every corner. (laughs) Dude, seriously. What's up? I want to, because that's the world I want to live in. So, Mm. like, if I make some money, I just keep thinking, oh, it'd be so cool to just make the world the way I want it to be, where I could go anywhere and be like, hmm, I'm hungry. Oh, I just opened a fridge and got some food. All right. (laughs) Like, I don't know. The what if it, what if more people think amazing. like that yeah and there are they are growing and catching on like you know multiple neighborhoods are expanding there's we talked about on the snack cast if if y'all don't support us on patreon quick plug quick <laughs> plug chop chop we have a patreon and sorry i don't know why i'm doing that voice <laughs> I, I i like it it actually goes into my limbic system and it makes me want to <laughs> press the money button uh (laughs) and we were talking about on that episode how like some of the like wealthier areas of the city where like a lot of people fled um left kind of the the most the the poorest in in those neighborhoods and like you know say say rent stabilized units from generations like you know williamsburg is a certain like price point but there are people who are still like getting by um like who've lived there for generations who are suffering and and uh, are kind of underserved like there's no community fridge really there's and and i was was also thinking about the the areas in manhattan where there's a lot of projects and stuff like that like Mm. uh is mutual aid reaching these areas and i would say i don't think enough but yeah it's never enough, though. Yeah. It, and that's kind of what we're at, too, is just, like, the demand to take care of people at this point, and when everyone is already kind of at their wit's end, is <laughs> something that you can't really, um, like, concern troll. You know, it's like, I, it's I, I just fully believe that everyone is doing the best they can to survive if they are, like already engaged in something like this obviously if they're just a if they're just a stockbroker and they like step on people like and just mash their face into the sidewalk on the way to work then no (laughs) you're not doing enough but i i don't know i just think that's where we should be directing our pressure more instead of like kind of judging each other if we're trying to survive and we have like, you know, so much to balance in our own communities and within our own connections. And then it's like, well, you didn't help the people in the place where you are not even living. Yeah, well, they're gone. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just a, it's just a, a thing to bring up because we are talking about, um, you know, yeah. everything like if if i had a million dollars type shit you know and it's like yeah i'd put it there (laughs) oh absolutely (laughs) yeah if it was like oh i can just make it rain all over everybody and it'll work out and be great like sure i'm not gonna buy a boat i don't care about that yeah i don't know some people would rather uh buy a boat or like a boatload of ketamine or whatever (laughs) wow they're alive and they're surviving too if somebody swims around in like a boatload of ketamine like say there was say you were on a boat and then you had a (laughs) swimming pool on the boat and it was filled with ketamine and you swam around in it would it go in through your skin I don't know. I don't know how ketamine works. I think it would depend on how it was. Um, I know it's like 
with the the testosterone I take, like it's it's in like a it's in an absorption format, like it's like a gel. So if it was in like that gel uh, format, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. It probably would be more like if you just have a mucous membrane, it'll absorb if you get it in your <laughs> nose or eyes or something. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure if you'd have to swallow it or if it, or if it could be absorbed. I have no idea. It's like a chemist's question. Yeah. Okay. So if anybody is listening and wants to let us know for when we get really rich and we buy a boatload of ketamine. Can um, you buy like ketamine patches and just like put them on all day and like slow release? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Can I just cover myself in ketamine patches and go deep into a K-hole? But like <laughs> slow. Yeah. Just like slow all day. Yeah. I guess it kind of is how it works with gel capsules, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of that stuff is just built in time release now. Right. Which is annoying for anyone who (laughs) really likes pills. Uh, Yeah, you got to crack them open in that case. Yeah. What the hell, man? I've got to study for my paper now. Oh, my God. Yeah. I I don't need I don't need K. I have uh, JRPGs. Ooh. Uh, that I could just play for five hours at a time, six hours at a time. There you go. Uh, it's nice. And you, you get, you know, the little numbers go up, you get the little release. You don't have to go on Twitter. It's great. Yeah. Any <laughs> Anything that keeps you off, you know. <laughs> I think it's healthy. It's fine. I think... Hey, I'm your grandma, and I think it's healthy. Support the Patreon. <laughs> wow, thanks. Yeah. 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 Anytime. <laughs> I'm a very supportive old person. I just love everything you kids are doing. Amazing. Yeah, we're, we're hanging in there, Grandma. Um, sorry we can't visit you anymore. Oh, it's all right. I'm already dead. <laughs> just, you know... <laughs> talking inside of your mind it's not even real sorry we couldn't go to your funeral either you know covid yeah you know dead bodies uh, they they don't hold grudges (laughs) god oh my god um (laughs) and that concludes grandma scene yes we are a comedy podcast yes we are performers yes we did the open mic circuit Mm. Oh, speaking of comedy, actually, uh, maybe this is a good way to um, segue into a little bit of art news. Um, Oh, God, let's hear it. Yeah, right? Okay, (laughs) so uh, Maurizio Catalan's um, banana taped to the wall uh, is actually titled The Comedian. Ah, And yeah, and um, it was just acquired by the Guggenheim. And uh, there is this piece, I mean, there's a lot of pieces about it because it's like people are just going to always lose their shit about this banana. It's whatever. But it is um, is very like one-to-one, like they lay off a bunch of people and they buy a banana. Yes. Like, how do I budget my candles or whatever? Exactly. So... (laughs) Um, there's this piece that just aired or whatever in the, um, in the times. And it's like talking about how, uh, like absolutely cool and normal it is that we're buying a banana at this time. And, um, weirdly it discusses the way that conceptual art is sold without mentioning people who, um, initiated the form. Like, uh, they're talking about how the banana is sold by using this, like, you know, written agreement with all of these stipulations. So you're really buying a piece of, like, authentication. You're buying a document for this much money. and um, Right, which is, like, the history of the shit. Like, the, all the, the, the ready-mades are all reconstructions of the Duchamp pieces, right? Like Yeah, yeah. And it, and this is also something that, like, uh, you know, Saul LeWitt collectors are very familiar with because right. you, you buy directions for how to create to the piece. The walls. And it's like... interns or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's somebody from the Saul LeWitt, um 
uh, estate will come to make your work, but they are paid workers, and I know some of them, and they're very nice people. Mm, that's um, good, because I, I, similar artists that um, when when I was in undergrad, it was all unpaid interns. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, yeah, I don't fuck around with that. That's not cool. I mean, things have changed a lot since I was an undergrad, but this is how it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's always different. But uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about this New York Times piece. Um, it's it's a banana, it's art, and now it's the Guggenheim's Problem um, by Graham Bowley, who looks like a very... He looks like a mm, Republican? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure he is if he writes for the fucking Times. I'm, very, <laughs> I'm just very confused. I'm like, this is not the art writer's profile that I'm used to seeing. Anyway, um, he does a roundup of all of these works that are collected by museums and they're all um, like perishable. And he talks a lot about how like normalized it is for art to be food-based. And um, there was just this piece by Darren Bader and um, basically I'll just describe it because if you get it, the picture in your head, you'll understand the whole piece. It's like on each pedestal, there's these nice, like light blonde wood pedestals, all roughly the same height. And on top of each pedestal, there's one fruit or vegetable. So there's like one strawberry on a pedestal, one yeah. head of lettuce on a pedestal. And it's like, the way that people are discussing this work, they're talking about, um, it's like, oh, Darren is like offering us this ability to look at the vegetable as a formal object. And, and it's really cool. But, you know, we let people eat the food before it goes totally bad. But we just like put it here so that we can sort of like abstract our relationship to the food and look at it as... <laughs> You know, meditate on it, make it into a tulpa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, I just, it boggles my mind to, to see a community of people who are like asking an admission fee to like look at a vegetable and then also to say like, it's totally fine to buy this, um, the rights to tape a banana to the wall. And then like, in the same article, um, they say uh, that this art makes you, like, challenge yourself. It, like, challenges the viewer. And I'm like, well, mm. how come there's nothing about how it challenges labor relations when all of these <laughs> institutions have been having so much trouble with, like, the people who are facilitating these exhibits, like, not getting their... Um, not not getting a living wage, not getting any care, not, you know, having their unions decimated or ignored. And like, you know, I feel like, especially with the banana and with the protests that was going on with that, it would be worthwhile to mention the absurdity, like the breaking point that people were pushed to when they were facilitating this show. Definitely. Um, and it's like left the it's left the official narrative. Yeah. No, yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. And like it 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 also like reminds me well, here's the thing. Like I think I think none of them fucking care. Like none of the people who are running these museums, putting this shit together, like I think it's all in like I don't know, some sort of bad faith, like or like vague other place that like they just they literally don't fucking care about the workers and like I well, don't it's know. different it's different in every institution of course like at the guggenheim like you were just mentioning they laid off a bunch of people and so did the new museum and yeah and but let's talk about the whitney too because the, the whitney's going through its own fresh new controversy again mm -hmm. again yeah. again again and it's just like it's driving me insane because, like the the, I think the layoffs are like pretty across the board, and it's just like what, like the it's it's obvious there's some there's there's 
there's there needs to be some sort of readjustment. There needs to be some sort of escalation. I don't know, like because it's they're they're not. I just feel like we're repeating ourselves, and it drives me insane. I know <laughs> it drives me insane too. But I have the energy today to do it because, like, uh, I'm I'm just decidedly not gonna get into the RBG bullshit. So you know that'll also drive you insane. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> whatever. I, this one drives me a little bit less insane. So I'll just talk about. No, and, um, I, I, I don't, and I like I like to be driven insane a little bit. Like I, I wouldn't have a podcast if I didn't like to discuss. I like the pain. Shit. I like the pain. It's like, or it's like somebody has to fucking think this shit through, you know? Or, yeah. Or more people need to. Of course, it shouldn't be a, just an endeavor of like of of our show or whatever. A lot of people are thinking this shit through. A lot of people are readjusting their strategy with in regards to labor organizing right now no absolutely and i think like you know some of the demands are i guess well they're not really changing it's like everybody hated okay i I, can i just say i have friends in that fucking show that was canceled by uh, with by the whitney i i don't think the letter is good enough i don't think the letter is good enough i don't think the the letter shows like that people have been thinking this stuff through i just feel like it's just a fresh new group of people thinking through the same problem oh yeah i mean yeah definitely it seems like there are waves of new organizers all the time that it's also um it's it's also very mm, steeped in the like student organizing crowd where it's like okay we have a new mfa and we're and we're going to like you know, fight the power, but then we're only here for a couple of years and then we're just like out on our ass and we've alienated ourselves from the other students who are just there to use the grad school as a springboard. And like, we can't use student resources anymore because uh, the institution is mad at us. (laughs) Yeah, and the institutions are acting a lot like our political institutions, acting a lot like de Blasio yeah. paint or, or whatever in D.C. or whatever in all these like liberal cities, like painting the the murals on the streets, like on the, the BLM murals on the streets. Like the, the, the museum institutions are trying to do that same whitewashing. Um, it's all related. And, and the fact that like people have we're having trouble like, um, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I've, I have hope because I'm looking at the way that things are going and it's like, you know, cumulatively, it's actually putting a lot of pressure on people like in um, due to the layoffs at the Guggenheim, you know, we have a call for the resignation of three of the museum's officials, um, the director, Richard Armstrong, um, the CIO, COO, Elizabeth Dugall, and the chief curator, Nancy Spector, which is interesting because... Now that's a letter. Now th- I, I like that demand. That's a good demand. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, you know, it is getting a little bit more bold and it's getting a little more direct because this is not a demand to change up anyone on the board who is like abstractly involved. It's like, these are the people who are making decisions on the ground or signing off on stuff directly. Yeah. I'm, I guess I'm conflating the, uh, the actions with Guggenheim and actions with Whitney. I, I, I mean, the Whitney. I, yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, we're not, it's, they're not all popping off at the same time, right. but well, there I is wish some they were right. I, uh, they but, were working together, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Cause it's like, okay. So the Guggenheim has its call for these three members. And then LACMA actually mm-hmm. has a board member who is being criticized because they um, are just like profiting off of prison phone investments. Shit. That's just so evil. Yeah. It's super fucked up. Um, So there's a bunch of people who are, um, they're like targeting. uh, I I think his name is uh, Michael Govin. That sounds correct. Um, Yeah. The director of LA County museum of art, Michael Govin. Yeah, I'm yeah. just looking it up because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> I forget people's names all the time. It's I mean, yeah, it's thing. hard to keep track of all these awful fucking board members and CEOs and shit. Like, there's a lot of them. Yeah, 
but they're so they're cornering that guy and um this this other name is super easy to remember uh the private equity guy tom gores oh kill me yeah, so he's on the board because, um, and he acquired Securus Technologies, which is like one of the largest prison phone companies. And basically, people are like, "Get this guy out of here, dude! We don't want prison money. We just don't want prison money. This yeah, is horrible." For, for people who don't know, like p- people in prison have to pay like, um, sh- like insane, like like dozens of times more for calls than like any normal phone plan it's it's an insane monopoly that's just like allowed to happen because uh politicians and everybody treat prisoners as less than human yeah it's It's insane it's a mess it's a huge mess and like during covid where you can't do in-person visits anymore it's extra extra fucked up and it's another way these like millionaires and billionaires are, are raking in a lot more money during covid yeah and so so there's a challenge going on there which i think positive you know we're 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 racking up the number of um like aggrieved uh parties we're all collectively outraged but we're we're trying you know it's like it's just going to take a few more swings for us all to align i think but because there's also another one that i think is interesting um is this guy who um is at the contemporary art museum in houston um mm-hmm. So he, uh, this guy, Bill Arning, what is, has had just a laundry list of accusations of sexual harassment against him. Um, and all of these artists have been coming out and saying like, look, we don't want to work with an institution that wields power like this it's super fucked up we want him the fuck out um i, I mean yeah i mean if the, the 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 really big thing that that the years of whitney protests did um last year was get you know warren Kanders out and it just feels like that should be the the jumping off point for all of these types of open letters and things is to just attack these boards over and over again that's a good yeah but i mean it's pretty cool right because it's like it's actually from that point now the strategy is recreated and multiplying across all of these different institutions and people are clearing out all of this abuse but in different capacities so this guy like um, the museum actually responded that they were going to have the director step down and I don't know, it was kind of cool, too, because if you look at the gallery scene on Instagram, which I know, cheesy, totally cringe, but a lot of galleries were posting in support with artists who were speaking out. And there was sort of this understanding of like, well, you know, we're not the big mega galleries and we're not the giant institutions and we've been working to make shows together and we don't actually need this level of, um, you know, institutional abuse to happen. Yeah, I'm. that's, yeah, that, that's good. I'm glad. Uh, I have to check that out more. What was the institution again? Oh, it's the museum in Houston. Houston. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, Contemporary Art Museum Houston. It's cool. And um, yeah, the people who have been um, most kind of consistently working through this messaging is um, at Cancel Art Galleries is their handle. Mm. Um, I don't know. It just kind of gave me a little bit of hope that people are using the power of call out culture in a smart way in some cases. Yeah, it's good. I, I, I've, yeah, I've been looking up, so I've, I've been bogged down by this Whitney story, like just thinking of the total opposite, but these are really good and hopeful stories. Um, basically what happened with the Whitney was, um, they wanted to do a show, uh, what what they were calling it something so cynical collective actions artist interventions in a time for change and (laughs) and it's like i imagine it's like similar to their other shows they do where they buy a bunch of like protest art and like just put it all together salon style um (laughs) imagine that's what it was and i say that because they were like 
they were like acquiring like flyers, like BLM flyers, just like oh, weird. just by like DMing people and just like asking like for to to like print them to print them for free like or or for like a hundred dollars or like like the the acquisition process was like very like informal like like you know they're like they were just like yeah i gave money to the gofundme like to and i'm the whitney you know <laughs> like oh god like that type of thing like going into like like small time organizers that are like that that donated a print to like raise money for a bail fund or something like that and then it's like i'm the whitney here's a here's a nice fiver kid i'll be taking this you know <laughs> like, Ugh, like, gross that's basically how it went down and like and so then it, yeah that's what causes stir and then it got canceled and then there's like a call out letter um the way in which you acquired our work and plan to show it without conversation or without consent from many of the included artists demonstrates an undervaluing of our labor and denying of our agency and calls into question how you have in increased the diversity of your collection. Um, the purpose of acquiring work is not only to preserve a moment in time, but also to support living artists. And then the letter calls, which is good, and the letter calls to commit to a year of action of mobilization and introspection, which that's not a good enough demand. That doesn't kids. make It's just very <laughs> abstract. It's like, but, it, and I get that that would come from art-minded people who are like, oh, yes, we must meditate on, right. the, on the issue. Just go think about what you've done. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, well, we thought about it and this was our conclusion. I don't understand. <laughs> like, like, go tulpa some raspberries for a while and think about it real hard. Yeah. Um, there's something it tangentially related in the acquisition news right now, um, which is kind of uh, interesting, like in respects to like BLM as well. Uh, Sotheby's just had its first um, hip hop memorabilia auction. Oh my God. <laughs> and uh, they, they were like, Oh, it's great. We managed to um, make the night, like, I think it was like a $2 million night. And um, it was this kind of weird moment where a bunch of art collectors were appraising stuff like, um, like Tupac's love letters from his high school crush. Jesus Christ. And like... Wait, um, does Sotheby's do like Hollywood memorabilia too? Oh, they do they, all... They do all artifacts, all, you know, and it. the thing about auctions is just like if you have a collection of something that is like, you know, whatever, it's like, oh, all of these are hip hop or like... Okay, yeah, all of these objects like a, are chairs. It like, just feels <laughs> like, like a, a different, there'd be like some different Hollywood auction house doing that, but I guess not. No, no. Yeah, because they have they have like contemporary art and um, like old masters art, but then they also have all of these other artifact sales and, um, and you know, they're always trying different stuff. Like They gotta whatever. diversify the portfolio, you know? Yeah, it's like when Phillips did the auction for digital art. You know, everyone is right, like, ooh, right, right, there, right. there's some energy behind this. Um, but it was it was kind of this fucked up thing because the... So Sotheby's was like, yeah, let's auction off all of this personal things that were from all of these, um, you know, staple figures of hip hop. And then we will... Uh, we will try to assuage our guilt by giving money to the New York public library. But everyone was like, why the fuck is this even going on when you know that there is like a museum of hip hop in the city that yeah. all of these things should have been donated to because there's like key pieces, like the crown that Biggie wore, um, and like, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like that's what I was just thinking. Like, if if you like are selling this shit in, a, in to to private buyers, like, what's what is stopping 
Yeah, what is, what is what is stopping like a bunch of like people to just buy it up and like yeah, com- never either well, I guess there are a lot of people who do that, right? They'll buy a bunch of art and never see the light of day. It reminds me of the gun couple and their museum house. Oh, sure. I mean, the, yeah, that's one way to do it, but it's also it's like maybe these people are going to collect all this stuff and then donate it to the museum and then get a, a tax write off or name something on. or yeah. like that just feels like how it always goes. Yeah, but it couldn't just be like, oh, here's all of this, um, here's all of this stuff, which also suspiciously made its way to the auction house, which means right. somebody is out there like, I think this is a valuable object. Let's see how much we can, um, like, get the starting bid. Yeah, it's almost like a like, yeah, you you can just con- convince the estates of these places to be like, let me go through the drawers. I mean, yeah, and it has, and yeah, and then it becomes initially appraised. And, you know, I think a lot of the times because these artists were undervalued again. Yeah. And it's like, you know, only after the fact when it's like, oh shit, there was this huge cultural impact that we can now make money off of with like, you know, merchandising. It's, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's so, it's so dirty. It's very, very dirty. Something's been happening with indie comics where, especially like with everything closed, um, uh, prices for uh, zines like um, are going crazy on eBay. Like oh, wild. Um, like friend of the show, Michael DeForge, like there's like copies of his um, his great series called Loose. Like the, fir- the, f- the first issue of Loose is like on eBay for like $500 or something. Like, it's what? Like, yeah, it's like so nuts. It's is yeah, it like no is it signed or anything? I I don't know. I mean, it could it could be it could not be, but like yeah, three hundred five hundred bucks. I see a lot like that. That's always been true. There's always been like a kind of black market um, resale of like popular like small editions of zines. Mm. Um, but I think it's going kind of haywire right now. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that in collecting vintage comics like um you know like zap yeah yeah totally because i i have a few of those first edition but honestly if anybody ever pays more than like i don't know 15 dollars for them they're crazy (laughs) no you're you're crazy especially because a lot of these are uh, available like for free as pdfs like it yeah it's not that hard to find yeah like you can enjoy it it's okay No, it's like, it's like, yeah, it's like ravenous rich collectors of of all things, including zines, which are, you know, made for $5 or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm going to, yeah. I mean, like I'm outing myself as being a person who likes to collect things too. I definitely like to collect things, but I'm, um, I guess if maybe, yeah, maybe that's the problem. Maybe people become wealthy and they, their collections go a little haywire and then... (laughs) Yeah. And that's where they put all their money in. Like maybe it's it not should, a, maybe it's not a boat full of K, maybe it's a boat full of of com of indie comics. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the price you pay for a thing should be commensurate to the work that goes into it and it's hard to gauge that. And we know that things are loosey goosey on that on that tip. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah, let's go back into deep theory about um the commodity form <laughs> and uh yeah. <laughs> well, you have to yeah. with art, though. No, I know. Let's do it again. That's what I'm saying. I'm literally saying that. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 maddening. You know, it's like how do you put a value on something that a person has created to try to, um, like translate their their world. Like, how right. valuable do you think this communication is? How valuable do you think the the life of the artist is? How much are you interested in the person who made this thing, um, like, getting support for their life? Right, right, right. And is, is that stuff, is it possible to regulate that, that those markets? Is it possible to make it, like, some sort of, like, a state law where it's, like, if this artist is still alive, you have to give them a certain percentage? I know some countries do that or whatever. Yeah. And that, and that's the other thing. It's like, we're so kind of afraid of changing the unregulated markets for this sense that like innovation is going to go out the window. But then you look at a place 
um, you know, it's like we keep talking about Germany. They take care mm. of people who are, um, I guess, you know, it's a little bit more frustrating if you make more money, you're giving back more in taxes. But if you are a low income student, you're studying art, uh, you get a lot more help. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the trade off. Yeah. And you benefit from that, too, with your even if you have high taxes, you are benefiting from a society that's taken care of. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Jesus, look at their COVID response. Like they dealt so well with everything that they were able to have Berlin Art Week and yeah. Berlin Art Week. You know, all the people, they went out to the art shows. They did their thing. And the main complaint was not, hey, we're afraid of getting infected with COVID. Their main complaint was representation and the concern that there was too many white male artists being shown. Whoopsie. They're back at square one again. Yeah. Just going around the loop of trauma. Yeah. Sorry. All of the, all of the other people are dying. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, I think it's just precious. I'm so glad that there's a place in the world where people can just look at art and go like, you know what? (laughs) Could you imagine? More (laughs) other people, please. Start that tip again. Yeah. I want to, I want to get back to that, please. Can we just get healthy (laughs) enough to like fight about that? Like art is like, oh man, because I've been thinking a lot about, I I should really look up the actual article, but like there's a recent episode of Chapo where they talk about like, um, like this very cynical liberal think tank that's trying to like put spirituality into like office workers. Oh God. Yeah. That was so fascinating to me. I have to look up the article itself, but it feels like for a lot of liberals, the art world is that already is what I was thinking. Uh, how, like, well, I mean, it, you know, there is specifically people, um, who talk about the spiritual underpinnings of like communing with art. Yeah. Like, well, like Tulpa the raspberries, like we're saying, or like, if it's not the art world, then maybe it's like, you know, the Silicon Valley people going to, or, or like, yeah, going going to the desert and doing peyote, or like the the uh, what is it? J.P. Morgan Chase DJ doing raves, like you know, <laughs> that's them finding a spirituality or whatever. Yeah, I think it's I don't know because in art, I've definitely found like yeah, there is a spirituality there. It's not in the market; it's in the art, and it's not in all art. But I have found that, you know, there are certain encounters that make me think about the way that life works, you know, so I'm not I'm not like, oh, yeah, this is fucking psycho, man. How could you think this has like any spiritual value to think that I'm not saying they're wrong to think that at all. I'm I'm just saying it's it's a it's a it's a mechanism for like like there is a there is a reason that liberal politicians are painting black lives matter on, on the street and trying to bring about like some symbolic catharsis. So they don't have to deal with any actual um, material changes uh, that like uh, when let's talk about RGB or RBG a little bit. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm a yeah, printmaker. Yeah. I just go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that color spectrum. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the uh, de Blasio's first thing was like, you know, finding some rando being like, I want a statue of, of R- RBG. And, and de Blasio's first like tweet about it was like, yes, I, I will get on this right away. We'll get a crew right away to make a statue, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. Thank God. Like, that's sort of like, you know, we, we yeah. had one person vote and we will be going with that. Um, Right. And there's like, there's, there's this like very parasocial relationship that people have with this judge, like, like that, that a lot of liberals have with her. And it's just like, so strange because like, she's just as much of a a problem as any of these awful politicians that are killing people. Like, it's it's driving me insane. Um, Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think 
it's hard for me to make any hard. I don't know. I, I I'm like, wow, that everything is such a mess. Everything yeah, is such, you're very sympathetic today. Uh, yeah. Well, I spent all yesterday crying. I was just crying. I was like, oh my god, this is such a mess. I like, I can't. I just. I don't know what's going to happen to us. Yeah, I had a I had a bit of an emotional breakdown last night as well thinking about all this stuff. I don't mean to sound like I'm flip about it. I was I definitely also was emotional last night, but not no, because yeah. I'm sad about her dying. No, no. And that, <laughs> and that was the thing. It's like, you know, I'm I'm sad because it's like people you know, who cared about the positive qualities that she put forward that it's just, it's just such a, it's such a paltry offering, you know? And right. I'm sad that our feminist heroes have to be so such conflicted figures. I'm sad that our justice system is so hamstrung. I'm sad that, the only things we can ask for is like this symbolic victories. Yeah. I'm, you know, and that is I'm, sad. Yeah. It's really sad. And you know, I'm not, I'm just, it's like, I don't even know who to be angry at because it's so universal that I'm almost like, you know, all I can do is just think, wow, I don't, I, I just, I don't know where we're going. And like, like, please God may it at least be, something that is not another Kavanaugh, but I don't know, you know, it's like the way that all the responses are going, it's, um, you know, Mitch McConnell fucking opportunists of the day, just jumping in and trying to take control of the narrative. And like, I'm glad that you're bringing it. You're, you're helping me ground a bit. Cause I'm definitely more on the angry spectrum of everything and not that I'm not also sad, but I'm, I'm feel like I'm expressing more through anger. Cause it's just like, we had a chance to have a real challenge to Mitch McConnell and the Democrats worked with the Republicans to throw him in the garbage during the peak of like the BLM protests in, in the summer. Like, yep. and that makes me so angry and it makes me so fucking angry just that that the, the that people that I love are are praising these institutions that fuck them. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> I mean it's completely insane. And then I don't know what to think about like how Ted Cruz is positioned right now. Insane. Yeah, where he's all like, ooh, technically I could theoretically be positioned to jump on that Supreme Court, like, if you needed me to. Hey, what's up, Mitch? Like, okay, but I'm not going to say anything really, but you know I'm here. And everyone is immediately like, okay, here's our short list of conservative judges, but they are like a um you know united colors of benetton ad of conservatism <laughs> it's just fucking psycho it's all it psycho and it's so overwhelming that i'm like i don't know who to be mad at it's the whole world yeah it's so it's also bad and crazy. i i guess I, I yeah i mean i'm just i keep i keep getting like gaslit by like people who are just like oh you just gotta vote you just gotta vote and uh, blah blah blah. And it's just like motherfucker. What have you guys been doing? You guys do fucking nothing. We like created like a whole fucking viable campaign. Then you spat in our faces and threw them in the trash. We tried. It's not our fault. It's 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 not our fault. And that's like the the thing that gets me so angry is that feeling of being gaslit. Like the left is always being scapegoated, and it makes me really mad. Um, but I also think it's good to ground that in sympathy for people who are just like, you know, lost in their, in, I don't know, liberal feminist blinders or whatever it is. Well, it's not even blinders. It's like people who hold on to the successes of figures like RBG actually are looking materially at the history of our power structures and to have somebody like that you know enter into a space like with all of their fucking flaws 
is still something that gave everyone hope. And like, you know, and I get that it's like incredibly fucked and that we had viable alternatives that were not chosen because of the like very fucked fucked nature of our systems like i'm not saying that they're at all good and i'm not at all justifying anything i'm just saying like i get where this is coming from because when you go out there and you know the world is bad you just think like well maybe there's some incremental change and this is what it is like when someone looks at obama and goes like and they cry you know when obama was like first elected and like people were crying in the streets oh i know i was there i've I've told my obama story i was all in on obama i'm just exactly mad now that's what i'm saying it's like you know we try to get these small kernels of a possibility of hope to fucking become a new world. And it fails miserably every time because of the, because of fucking the structure, because of what everything that is already here. And then we think like, well, you know, we have viable alternatives, but there is the material reality of everyone who, everyone else, everyone else who just doesn't want to try to be better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was talking to, to my friend about this last night, the, like the mix of sort of brainwashing and like, and just like, cause some, cause sometimes I'm like, Oh, it's just because people's like material conditions might need to get worse before they break the spell or whatever, like, and, and, and see, like, and see this shit a little more clearly, like, but it's also people who are suffering fall for it too. And, and then those, and so there's like, well, that's what I think. That's what I think the issue is, is like, you know, we think of politics almost as if there is this correct way to be doing everything, but we only know about what is proposed by our politicians. And like, I know what I want to see. I want to see public programs put in place. I want to see like universal safety nets. I want to see fucking UBI. I want to see fucking, I want to see healthcare for everybody. I want to see like everyone get housing. I want, I want, you know, I want that world. But I think like, Um, there's something going on where we have siloed ourselves in political conversations where the left is looking at a moment like this and it's like, okay, time to just dunk on the libs and like spew hate. And it's like, well, no, they're not, they're not living in a false consciousness. They're living in a reality that they've built through their own material connections. Right. You know, I mean, I would, and I would say that those material connections are more like, I, uh, it's like, it's almost like it, uh, I don't want to sound like a fucking malice third worldist, but, uh, you know, it's because people are pretty taken care of for the most part, this shit isn't affecting them. And we talked about how the, the, the elections are pretty much designed so that only wealthy suburban people decide them and it's it's so i was thinking about how like magical that is right like like the constitution was was founded so that only this certain type of people have power and it's still working to this day isn't that crazy yeah it's it's incredible it's like oh we can talk a language of liberation for all and really just mean all of us Right, right, right. I mean, they, they, that's the thing. These folks, these suburban folks, a lot of them do believe in freedom for themselves and their immediate neighbors. They don't mean it for the rest of the world. They don't, they don't care. (laughs) It's, I think it's like they don't understand the gulf that exists between somebody who lives in a suburb and they're like, you know, taken care of not struggling in the same way as people who are in dire straits, but like 
they don't understand that it's not about just going to school and getting a job. Like they just don't, it's just, it's like, I don't know. What do you want? Like we went to school and then we got jobs and then we got houses and it felt like work the whole time. And you can't tell them that it wasn't work. (laughs) Cause they, they woke up every day and they went somewhere and they did a thing that they didn't necessarily want to do. So they're all like, I sacrificed to get my house. And you know, other people are like, yeah, but we're all sacrificing exponentially more in a lot of cases Mm -hmm. and getting nothing. And they're like, well, we don't, we just don't know. Like, why didn't you sacrifice the right way? (laughs) Right, right, right. But it's, yeah, because they don't, it's like, it's not like a false consciousness, though. It's just like, it's just that their rationality works so specifically for them. And they're not wrong because they're getting material results out of it. No, and I wouldn't say it's a, it's necessarily a false consciousness at all. I I would say it's, it's probably a white supremacist consciousness. Um, And maybe, maybe that's unconscious. Maybe there's an unconscious bias happening there. But yeah, yeah. No, that I could no, I can definitely get down with that. Like we need to that's why like intersectionality needs to like actually maintain a position in our conversation when you know, a lot of people are like starting to talk about orthodox Marxism and just like gaining numbers of the working class to fight against the fascism oh growing in America and it's like no, you completely missed the point. Like everyone is thinking about numbers and everyone is thinking, well, these people are fine. Right. They're these- all playing that. Yeah. And it's just like, ugh, ugh, yeah, yeah. Look, look at, look at the RNC. They, they're playing the same identity politics as the Democrats. They're doing the same thing. They're doing the same exact thing. Yes. Um, it's wild. It's wild, though. Like we've we've fallen fully into chaos mode. So <laughs> it's true. I mean, they're they're putting off the school reopenings, which is like the shoe that we've been waiting to fall for weeks and weeks and weeks. And they just yes. keep kicking that can down the road, and and that's going to be an indicator of so many other things. <sighs> but I mean, of course, like that indicator has already been set to we don't care, kill the kids in so many places. But in, in New York, it, it feels like it's, it's going to matter just because of the, you know, wall street being centered here and uh, so many media companies being centered here. It just feels like that'll be some sort of shoe dropping. And, and that's like the one that could drop before the, you know, of course the presidential election, but Ugh. We'll see. Yeah, October is gonna be fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a straight <laughs> ramp upwards through suck. January. It's gonna be so bad. It's gonna like and and that's why I'm just you know playing my little JRPG, trying to like chill out. Oh my god, Sam, Sam. <laughs> um, uh, last night. I mean, I'm not playing any games, but I, last night I just was like, well, it's time for me to go down a playlist of my favorite pop songs. That's so nice. <laughs> yeah, it was like, what are my all-time favorite pop uh, videos that are just, that are all about, like, feeling good and f- and fun with your friends? <laughs> uh, well, should we, what one should we play out with? We're at the end of the episode. Oh, snap. <laughs> um, oh, my God. I was like the thir- first thing that popped in my head was Ariana Grande. Thank you. Next, <laughs> this one I'm goes so out to grateful. This one goes out to RBG. Um, I'm so grateful. All right. Yep. Bye, everyone. Let's have fun. Let's have fun. <laughs> But it wasn't a match Wrote some songs about Ricky Now I listen and laugh Even almost got married And for Pete I'm so thankful 